podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nakum Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Good to have you with us, gang. And we are down to four. The championship games coming up this week. We're going to look back on how Buffalo, Kansas City, the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have made it to be the last teams standing. What a weekend of divisional football. All four games different in their own right. All four had intriguing elements to them. Who better than Greg Brady to break them on down and get you up to speed with everything that you need to know. So let's get this show on the road. Greg Brady, so much to get into. Breeze is last. Hurrah. The Packers looking formidable. The Bills, two games away from exercising the Scott Norwood ghost. And who'd have thought, who'd have thought that Chad Henney would be the name on everybody's lips. Great to see him back in primetime. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you wander down the street sometimes or you're at the grocery store and you're dealing with these uh, difficult times that and sometimes it pops into your head. How many of the 32 backup quarterbacks in the NFL do I know and could I name? But he is one. He <laughs> like one. honestly, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. him playing a factor and Jameis Winston playing a factor. Uh, if we go if we go down the list and we get to uh, Tennessee and then we think about, well, the Chargers. Yeah, because Tyrod Taylor started. But. It'd be a great random game show. Uh, name that backup quarterback from a specific year or a legendary team as well. So I think you and I could market that and get the board game rights at some I love point. It. We're all I love it. Looking for more board games. This name that backup quarterback seems ideal to me. Have you got any Chad Henney Dolphins merch from back in the day? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I was famously out on uh, on uh, Ryan Tannehill. I was never mm. truly a fan as, as it's been well documented. But Henny, yeah, Henny's in that sort of... Chad, like, I feel like he was backing up Chad Pennington. He was, that's and then, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyler Thigpen was in the mix. I, I know I did a TV mm. game or a radio game with Neil Reynolds, mm. and it was Miami and Tennessee, and it was Randy Moss making his Titans debut. So we chose the game. We sort of, uh, you know, bum-rushed the boss, if you will, and said, well, we've got to do Titans-Dolphins. I mean, we wanted a, a trip to Miami. We didn't want to go to the Meadowlands or Philadelphia when you can go to Miami in November. So right. we made it very clear this was a critical game to go to. And in that game, Henny got hurt, Pennington got hurt, and I believe Tyler Thigpen came in and got the win in relief. Might have been his only Dolphin win. I can't promise you that. I've done a I've done a Tyler Thigpen game live as well, actually in in Minnesota, uh, well in New Orleans, a Minnesota New Orleans game. Although I might be getting him mixed up with Gus Farrot then as well. I have to deep dive there. That is uh, that is for another day. Let's start well, with. I, I will tell you, I did Gus Farrot's playoff start with the the Detroit Lions. Did make the playoffs between '99 and 2011. And Gus Farratt went back to Washington and started for the Lions with an injured Charlie Batch. And I was there, let's uh, late 99 going into 2000. That might be early 2000 around January 7th. And the Lions, remember, Barry Sanders had retired the previous year. So we're all like, this Lions team's going to be terrible. Somehow they were eight, uh, they were eight and eight, mm. made the playoffs. They were nine and seven and missed the year before. Then they go eight and eight and make the playoffs. And th- that's a couple of years. That, that might have been Gus Farratt's first game back. Nat, after um, after the season in which he banged his helmet into the uh, into the wall because he was so happy. Yeah. Big mistake. <laughs> you know what? This is definitely an off-season show. We're going to follow the trajectories <laughs> of backups from the last 20 years, see where they've landed, see where they go, see if we remember those uh, eras. That, but Chad Heddy, it's a great story. We'll talk about uh, that uh, game, of course. Talk about all four of the divisional round games. Now we know the championship. Now we know Brady is back in another championship game. Uh, extraordinary career just rolls on and on. A similarly extraordinary career for Drew Brees seems to have come to an end. And, and in a way, when 
you're such a, a, a great player, such a, a strong-minded player, everything that Breeze has overcome, the adversity in his career, injury, of course, rejection, bouncing into New Orleans, a city that was in complete recovery mode, of course, after Katrina and his emotional connection as a result with the city, with the team, with, with Sean Payton, all of this that he has been through and Super Bowl win being the absolute high point of his career to go out like this, Greg, to go out like this is he'll, he'll recover in time, of course, and he'll bounce back in time. But it is it was a shame to see that he didn't go out swinging. Now, it really is. I was thinking yesterday, it's sort of one of the not many get to pick their own ending in, uh, mm. in you know, in the quarterbacking business. You don't True. get a big retirement tour. You can't play all your hits and then, you know, uh, you know, go off triumphantly to a, you know, it's, it's not it's not the music scene and it's not, you know, that last great movie role. So, yeah, there it, mm. it reminded me of a few demises. I mean, t- you know, we, we, we were talking about the Dolphins. Dan Marino won a playoff game the previous week in Seattle, had a lot of help from his defense, but he had to he had to bring the Dolphins from behind. They go and play a stacked Jacksonville team that were the one seed that year in the 99 season. And you remember the scoreline, 62 to Ooh. 7. And they pulled Marino halfway through the third yeah. quarter for Damon Heward. And if anything, I will say there were games in, in my recollection that season. That was my first real year on the NFL beat where I'm, I'm at stadiums every week and traveling with the Lions and all that. And, and my recollection is Damon Heward won some games mm. that year with Marino out. A, a little like how Brock Osweiler helped Peyton Manning. So mm. everybody wants the Peyton Manning ending, right? You, you know, even though the arm strength is gone, you're still smart and savvy like Breeze is and like Marino was. And, yeah. But, you, you know, your defense your defense kind of helps carry you to the title. You don't make mistakes. And Peyton Manning made very few mistakes uh, in three playoff games when he got the job back from Brock Osweiler. But um, I made the point to you on Sunday. I I don't know that the Broncos make the playoffs without Brock Osweiler stepping in and winning games. Peyton Manning, I want to say when he stepped away in that 2015 season and was injured was the lowest rated quarterback, if not one of the lowest rated quarterbacks in the league at that Mm. particular point in time. To get to leave a Super Bowl hero, um, you know, it's John Elway being carried off after they beat the Falcons. It's it's same uniform, Peyton Manning. But for nine out of ten legendary quarterbacks, they really don't get to call their shot. Mm-hmm. And you, we were never going to see Drew Brees as a backup. Um, I'm not denigrating those like Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham and and many amazing quarterbacks Michael Vick was a backup at a bunch of different places the last four or five years, Mm -hmm. but that's not how it was going to go for Drew Brees. So yeah, his retirement does appear imminent, but at the same time, um, it was, it was rough. It was a rough, it was a rough watch at times seeing Mm -hmm. him try to move the ball downfield. I mean, Troy Aikman's trying to be, you know, you got to do your job as a commentator, but you could tell at times as a former quarterback where it all also ended very suddenly for him with an injury Um, you know, I think he was thinking about Breeze like, I don't want to dig in too deep, but he did have to keep referencing the fact, Nat, that he couldn't throw the ball 20 yards down the field. They took no shots down the field. There was all underneath stuff, all Mm. screen passes, all checkdowns for Breeze, and uh, and it caught up with with New Orleans, plus the turnovers that that, Mm -hmm. Tom Brady just didn't make. Didn't make. Brady made in this playoff so far, Um, so it it was rough for Drew Breeze. The the, the, the turnovers were obviously instrumental, and it's interesting that – Breeze hasn't had the deep ball for a while now. We've known this. It's been, I think, misappropriated that criticism to Brady, for example, this season when, when he demonstrably still has. He's inaccurate with it a fair bit, uh, but he's still got it. There are certain quarterbacks, Rivers as well. It's fading. Breeze, we've known this all season 
long. So it came as no surprise. But of course, they couldn't get that short game going, couldn't get the underneath game going. Michael Thomas was anonymous in the game, which was surprising, although there's a lot to that story, I think, that's that's going to come out. I know there's been injury, but there's all kinds of other stuff uh, uh, surrounding that for sure. It's interesting you mentioned that that Marino game because benched when the game was already away from them. But still, you're, you're benching one of the all-time greats in, in that kind of situation. This game was much closer. And of course, Jameis came in and was a pinch hitter when they needed that, that deep ball. But was there ever any chance that Breeze would have been benched in this? Was there, is there an argument to say that if Sean Payton had made a change, then this game would have ended differently? Yeah, I absolutely think that's that's the case. I think the Saints had a better chance to win. I think we realized that maybe a quarter and a half in, uh, and, and and maybe it was even before the Jameis Winston um, touchdown when he came in. And, and it's so funny because it took a little while as well for them to show the, the replay of the Bears-Saints game the previous week where the Bears had done the exact same play drawn up, and it was, it was done perfectly by Mitch Trubisky. Uh, and then dropped in the end zone. Obviously, uh, mm. does it make a difference? Do the Bears come come you know from behind and beat the Saints? Likely not. But they were a little overmatched. But yeah, I thought about that several times yesterday, and I thought if Breeze is just a little bit less the living legend than he is, I, I really think he'd have to feel um, you know my arms tugging at me. He'd have to go to Sean Payton at and say, you know what, put the other guy in. Right. And the you know the pride and the and you know the ego, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but. You know, nobody likes to think, nobody listening, nobody watching likes to think if, if they know what they're good at, nobody likes to think, well, well, you know, that guy's just sitting around. He can do what I do. You know, that mm-hmm. happens in our business. So there's some, right. some moves that you watch from afar that don't even affect you. And you go, well, that makes sense. He's a really good up and coming broadcaster. That makes sense. He's a legend as a broadcaster, but the, the moves can be pretty controversial sometimes. So nobody wants to look around and say, that guy can do what I do better. Get him, get him in front of a microphone right now or get him, uh, you know, get, get him in politics right now. And I'll, mm. I'll just step aside as an MP. Like w- the, the, human, the human brain just doesn't work that way. Not in the heat of the moment. Drew Brees kept yeah. thinking, I can bring us back. And if I'm not injured, then I'm, I'm the best chance to win. But mm. you're not, sometimes you're just not objective about yourself. Right. I wouldn't I- have expected it. I'm not blaming him for not doing it. But yeah, I, I don't know how it didn't occur to Sean Payton more, and it may have, to utilize uh, Jameis Winston just a touch more. Remember mm-hmm. also what we talked about on Saturday, on Sunday, the absence of Taysom Hill sure. was big in this game. And yeah. maybe it was bigger than we even thought on some of the, on some of the short plays, on some mm-hmm. of the, the gadget and hitch plays where they could use uh, Hill as a wideout or just send him up the middle on, uh, on third and one, or they re- didn't really come into a fourth and one play where Breeze had to scramble for. They might've done once, but yeah, uh, Taysom Hill's absence, uh, as well as the backup running back to Alvin Kamara, those both, those both mm. factored in. Yeah, no doubt. And it's a great point you make uh, in terms of the psyche. It, it's self-perpetuating to get to where he's got to, to, to have, uh, as I opened the show with, to have overcome all those different challenges. It is fundamental to that mindset, that psyche, that it, it, there is a piece fundamental that this is not going to go away. In a situation like this, you're not going to throw the towel and you're not going to, yeah. And, and Peyton's never going to bench him as well because of their connection. I yeah. wonder if this was a head coach that had been 
at New Orleans for the latter stages of Brees' career, still obviously had a, a relationship with, but not of the same kind, whether whether that might have had a, a different, or he might have had a different perspective, but it's unlikely. I mean, to- even for a lesser quarterback like Eli Manning, look at that. A few right. years ago, Giants are going nowhere. A two-time Super Bowl champ, a consideration for the Hall of Fame, mm. and their season is going down the toilet. Do they want to play a younger player? Do they want to play somebody who they, they might be able to develop into a, a, a quarterback? And I think it was Geno Smith on the roster at the time. Mm. Um, they did it one week and the owner basically stormed downstairs and said, don't do that to Eli Manning. Like that's how, that's how serious those kind of conversations are. I'd go back to Denver and I'd say, can John Fox really look Peyton Manning in the eye and go, I know you're healthy now. I know you've recovered from your injury, but we're going to ride it out in your last year Mm. with Brock Osweiler in the playoffs. You can't do that. It it just, there's an etiquette scenario. And obviously Denver Mm. didn't make the wrong move. They won the damn Super Bowl. Mm. Let's talk about the, the Bucks D. And the credit they should get in this as well, because <clears throat> Breeze was misfiring. As we talked about, his deep ball not there. He's averaging just 3.9 yards attempt, uh, incidentally. They couldn't get the ground game going at all. And some of this, of course, is down to individual and collective shortcomings from the Saints offense. But a lot of it is down to the excellence of the Bucks D, the uh, excellence of Todd Bowles, who is going to be completely in demand now. Uh, of course, in terms of the remaining vacancies, we'll talk head coaching uh, spots a bit later on in the show. So credit where credit is due. If the neither offense was particularly on song last night, the Bucks D was the critical factor. I thought so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, we're not going to mistake this Tampa Bay. Uh, this is the first year they've won a playoff game and now they've won two. This is the first time since that 0-2 Super Bowl team where you're going, well, that guy's going to the Hall of Fame. So is that guy. Mm-hmm. That guy is also maybe that guy. Like, we're not we're not mistaking them for uh, Warren Sapp, uh, Rondé Barber, John right. Lynch, Hardy Nickerson. That's one of the great defenses. Honestly, one of the five or six yeah. great defenses um, to, ever, to ever play in the playoffs. And they got to stay together as a core for years in a row, which is harder and harder to do now. Yeah, they had a mm-hmm. salary cap 18 years ago, but it's tougher to do now. This is a little more no-name, although a couple of the names that, that I thought really played well yesterday are really familiar names. They isolated, and, and you know you wouldn't have noticed the quiet work he was doing if you were just sort of glancing back and forth. But you know I mentioned my ties in Detroit earlier on. I moved from Detroit to Toronto right when they drafted Dominic Sue. And I looked, and, and he was a savior in Detroit. Also, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of a, um, a gregarious character, would say what he wanted, got in, got in you know, messes with a couple of the media, had some things go uh, go against him and, and the Lions through their dysfunction. It was very difficult to see Sue staying there. And uh, but but there's a guy I can't. They mentioned on the broadcast. He's 34 years old now. Like mm-hmm. that just feels like yesterday that he was sort of a you know a baby faced guy really? getting drafted yeah. in the top three. But he was going to make life hell for quarterbacks. And he was doing. He was putting some work in. There's Antoine Winfield Jr., right? Uh, you know, heir, you know, uh, a son of a of a of a phenomenal uh, NFLer also. And I thought Jason Pierre-Paul, um, who whose minutes were kind of limited, but you forget he's there sometimes. And that's in addition to, I mean, obviously they had three interceptions. Um, you know, the, the Devin White one was big because remember Devin White had another one that was called back because of a penalty. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like uh, it's it's very. You know, it's got some names that you recognize, um, but those guys aren't exactly in the prime of their career. Sue's older, Winfield Jr.'s younger. Um, but boy, you know, um, I, 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 I try not to anticipate too much going into next weekend. I think they have to be better than they were. I think they have to tackle better. I think they have to scheme better. They have to do a lot of things better to tackle the Green Bay Packers because I, I have to believe the Packers are sitting there at halftime of that game going, 
again, you know, the confidence and the uh, the self-confidence and a little bit of the ego comes into play and the Packers were, were looking going, neither of these teams are going to beat us, not playing like they're playing right now. And I think the Buccaneers, because of Brady, as opposed to Breeze, were the only one of those two teams that can give Green Bay a go at Lambeau next week. But the defense, um, you know, they, they held really well, really well in the second half. Remember, they could never quite put Washington away the week before with a, you know, rookie quarterback being thrust into the spotlight in Heineke. But I thought they were excellent uh, yesterday, but they may need to be even more excellent if they're going against uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers next week at Lambeau. They're certainly going to need offensively more from their stars. Uh, uh, something, I guess, that you can put in contrast to uh, the defenses you uh, so erudite compared there, but you've got players like Gronk Brown, Evans, Godwin, all four of them accounted for 60 yards combined. Now, it was the, the the second stringers, certainly in terms of profile and status. So Leonard Fournette, the much maligned ex-Jag, uh, stepping up once again. That's back-to-back weeks now that mm-hmm. he's had. Uh, he's had an important and a big game. Ronald Jones uh, picked up uh, a fair amount of yardage as well. Between them, they had, uh, I think, 125 yards on uh, on the ground. That, that tag team, Scotty Miller, a clutch play. So they got the supporting cast to, to take care of business. And as we referenced, it wasn't vintage Brady by any stretch, but combined, they got the job done in contrast to, to the Packers. And let's talk about them now as we, as we look at that championship matchup in, in a bit more detail. They were ruthless, really, weren't they? And the Rams were obviously a little bit short stacked because Aaron Donald wasn't anywhere remotely resembling fit. He was on the field for just over 50% of his snaps, Greg, which is severely, uh, significantly lower than normal. And his impact was was completely diminished. That face marks penalty was born of frustration, I think, that he wasn't where he needed to be. And that, no doubt, had an impact. The Devontae adams Jalen Ramsey matchup, the much-vaunted, was a non-starter, really. They only squared off against each other three times, I think, in, in the whole game. And the Packers, efficient when they needed to be in the air, but they got the job done really on the ground, 188 yards on the ground. And it was three different players contributing, obviously Aaron Jones in the mix, but AJ Dillon, Jamal Williams as well. And then maybe that's the most terrifying part uh, as far as their prospective opponents are concerned uh, of this Packers performance, the way they completely neutralized that Rams defense didn't get manage a sack on Aaron Rodgers. I think it was one hit was the, was the final line there. It was a, a very controlled performance on both sides of the ball from Green Bay. Really was. Um, they were they were downright frightening. And uh, and I'm thinking about the Packers as I'm watching, you know, both the games on Sunday and thinking, you know, and I know we'll get to the Mahomes injury, which is such a massive story, but boy, does this, is this already in people's minds, Green Bay's Super Bowl to lose? Like sometimes the stars, you know, align against you. And I think that's happened for a few times. Uh, the last few seasons for Aaron Rodgers, really, I'm not even counting his injury season where he tried to come back really late in the year and, and just wasn't the same. And they've obviously been, you know, they've been whipped in, uh, you know, playoff games, NFC title games, that Atlanta Falcons team that went to the Super Bowl and had the 28-3 lead on the Packers. They annihilated Green Bay right. uh, in the title game. San Francisco, you know, that was a second round knockout. Forget what the final score was. That was, you know, that was two prize fighters in the ring and the 49ers just coming out and bludgeoning Green Bay. So <laughs> right, right. it looks different this year. It does. Mm. And uh, and I know, you know, I, I'm, I swear, I think we've done on, you know, on this show and in other conversations, we talked last year about how the Packers, who were 13-3 and last year, Nat, going into the playoffs, 
didn't feel like it. Um, mm-hmm. Some describe them as one of the poorest 13 and three teams ever. I mean, there wasn't a lot of competition in their division. Minnesota, Chicago, and Detroit were all spinning their wheels last year. You can make the case they still are in some ways. So I don't know that anybody, you know, it's not quite the AFC East with the Patriots in their prime and, and the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins all stumbling and bumbling into each other. But Green Bay's had six games out of 16 most, most years that they, when Rodgers is healthy, that they can count on winning four. And obviously they, they swept this year uh, and were six and oh. So, um, yeah, the running game, the, 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 the dual threat is big and it's big against Tampa and Tampa. Had some struggles with Alvin Kamara, eventually caught up to him, and then that game gets away from the Saints, and they have to go away from Kamara as just you know a running back that can that can gain yards. But guess what? A, a lot of the reason that they were running the ball was because of the deficiencies and inefficiencies of Drew Brees. No such issue with 35-year-old Aaron Rodgers next week. So the balance on offense, um, you know, Adams is their big threat, quite obviously. But yeah, that the game blew up, broke open with the touchdown to Alan Lazard, who is getting separation from guys. When he cuts across the middle, he's faster than people give him credit for. Um, I, I wonder if he could be a number one receiver on some other teams that don't have Devontae Adams on them. So, um, and, and Green Bay, even, you know, the use of the tight ends always been a thing with the Packers. We can go back 25, 30 years and talk about, you know, Bubba Franks and Mark Chimura and Keith Jackson. It's a little less prominent on this particular team, mm. uh, but nonetheless, uh, they've got weapons galore and, uh, and a healthy favorite against Tampa, and they deserve it. Of course, the biggest defeat of the Packers season, though, was against Tampa Bay, and it was certainly a, a Tampa Bay Bucks as we've seen and said on the show many times over the last six, seven weeks, one that is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Ironically, much like a, a Belichick Patriots team that just seems to get better as the season goes on, by and large, and certainly offensively, this uh, this Tampa Bay side is uh, is doing exactly that. So there is cause for optimism with uh, in the Tampa Bay camp, and I guess cause for concern with the Packers that they will the Bucks will look at that blueprint, look how they took down not, not it wasn't a close call, thirty eight ten, Gregor. They blew him away. Mm-hmm. They'll look at that and think they've got more than a fighting shot here. Oh, I, I do. I, I do. But I think, you know, and I don't want to, it's difficult to read too much into one game. And in playoffs, you do that sometimes. Any mm. kind of knockout tournament, you know, we could be talking about soccer and the World Cup and the Euros. And if somebody looks great one particular game in the round of 16, we always assume, well, you know, now they're firing on all cylinders. But sometimes, you know, you, you can beat a team 4-0 in the round of 16 and think, well, you know, uh, they'll just score all those goals again. And it's hard. It's right. hard to be really consistent when you're playing against the best in the world. Um, I will tell you, like, you know, if we're, if we're talking about the how much Green Bay is favored by in the game, I've seen four points, four and a half points right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, you know. Sometimes uh, we all know, Nat, that uh, Vegas uh, knows far more than you and me, and all of us watching and listening combined about where to set the line. Um, but they just seem to be tempting you to take the Packers. It mm. just that game could get out of hand on Tampa Bay, and Tom Brady doesn't get blown out in the playoffs too much. Um, it's happened a couple times. The Ravens have gone into Foxborough, and and really, when we think back, the Jets, the Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez, Jets. Right. Had a number on them in the playoffs uh, at at at, um, at Foxborough one year, but I don't. Four seems really low. I would have I would have set that line at about seven and a half just yeah, because yeah, yeah. Of, I, I look and see where Green Bay's at right now, and maybe that'll climb up. But the Packers just this just feels like their time. It feels like now. It feels like it's you know a decade later they're ready to go back to the Super Bowl after we all assumed 
they'd go back constantly. I mean, what was that? Aaron Rodgers' second full year as a starter. Yeah. When they when they go and beat Pittsburgh in in Dallas, maybe it was his third year as a starter, barely since Brett Favre's departure. Um, Brett Favre had so many departures from Green Bay. Now I can't keep track of them all. So again, <laughs> to, to go back to Favre's, Favre's. yeah, does it go back to music? This is like uh, this is like the Who uh, breaking up and getting back together. And this is the final final tour. There's only the two seventh, of us left. The but we're going out tour. there for the last time. I mean, they did that when I was ten years old. So what I don't know. Favre, yeah, Favre going out like I'm just trying because he he went out blazing, didn't he? I suppose that's the difference. That not uh, on his own terms. It says he didn't go out with a with a ring, but he, I feel like he went out. Bla- you know, went out blazing, went out as very much in character as the uh, type of performance we, we'd expect from Favre. Well, was it? I'm trying to remember. Cause I, and, I, and I'm at the game. Was was if was Minnesota? Was that overtime loss his last year? I feel like maybe yeah, it was. And he forced. Oh, did he have one more after that? I or, wonder no, I about that. I, I let's we can we can do we that can on the fly up. and figure that out. Yeah, but yeah. I. I remember thinking at the time, well, you know, that's if that's as close as you can get, you're in overtime. You don't count on remember how good Adrian Peterson was at that point in time. You don't count on right, uh, right. on Adrian Peterson uh, not being able to, uh, you know, to handle things for you. Yeah, he came back one more year and they and I see him as five and eight as a starter. So yeah. he came back one more time after that Saints Colts Super Bowl with the Vikings. Yeah. And yeah, it didn't and then- go quite as well at the age of 41. But, you know, the, the, the point is the point is made. It's it's uh, Green Bay just feels they just feel like they're running on all cylinders yeah. right now. And and again, when we, when we flip to the AFC boy, you know, a healthy Mahomes against, uh, against Rogers might, might be the dream matchup. It's hard to think that, you know, we don't want Tom Brady or the amazing story of the Buffalo bills in the super bowl, the Tampa, Tampa Bay would get to play in their own stadium. But I think we, we look right now and think green Bay, Kansas city, if Mahomes is fully healthy, that's yeah. probably the matchup most neutrals want and maybe expect right now. We'll get to the FC in a tick. Just a couple more on uh, on well, both teams actually. The Rams looking forwards with question marks about the quarterback position. For the record, you and I, golf apologist trademark, yeah. and he'd certainly stepped up. I think impressively in this game when he was clearly uh, banged up and it was affecting his technique. He's affecting his output. The week before, he was a lot more composed and together, but the Rams collectively as an offense were disjointed. They were going three and out scoring, three and out scoring. It was very boom or bust and not enough impact with with the boom. So, you know, curious here because I wonder if Goff had stuck the joint out, whether that might have made the decision easier. There's a lot of rumblings and we've been hearing from a couple of different sources how big... Sean McVay is on John Wolford. Now that's quite a fanciful jump and let's, you know, put the, the mm. fiscal component of this to one side for a minute because they paid Goff some serious dollar, right? But that story is buzzing around quite a lot and Wolford offers something that Goff doesn't, not just in his mobility either, but in terms of his ability to read the game. Quickly, Jason Bell was on the show a few weeks ago talking about that, talking about the speed of thought fits very, very well with Sean McVeigh, and that's, I guess, been one of the fundamental uh, complications, really, with the Goff McVeigh marriage. Is that Goff, like Andy Reid, and we're going to celebrate his brilliance in a moment, yeah. is one of these great innovators that loves this complexity. He's so good that he makes the complexity seem simple. And Goff just isn't that player. He's not that kind of player. He can't, for all his attributes, he throws a great ball. He's got a decent deep ball. He is you know, relatively mobile, if not a dual threat quarterback. He is typically 
fairly protective of the ball, although, of course, not, not this season. And that's been another cause for, for concern for McVeigh. But he doesn't have that speed of thought, anticipation, that a different quarterback combined with McVeigh would be electrifying to see. So I wonder what the Rams do, Greg, going forward. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think they're going to stand pat for the time being. Mm. Um, I, I think they see this season as, uh, as yeah, a work in progress. They were in the Super Bowl two seasons ago mm-hmm. in the 2018 season going into, into the calendar year 2019. Um, I thought they were the best team not to make the playoffs last year. There's always one of those. This year, you could certainly make the case it was Miami with their record, uh, and it wasn't anybody coming out of the NFC. Mm-hmm. But there's always – and though they added an extra team this year, but they didn't last year, and the Rams would have been that seventh seed going to the playoffs. So they haven't they haven't fallen off the map. Um, I, I just think – I think unless and I, I know there's going to be quarterback movement. It's something we'll be talking about over the next uh, a couple of months. And and really uh, what Deshaun Watson is asking, if indeed all that is accurate, and he has absolutely positively played his last game with the Houston Texans. Yeah. What do you think at- about that? Because we were told as recent as a week ago, no chance. Forget it. It's one of the most yeah. absurd rumors doing the rounds. And suddenly in the space of a week, some. Shefty was talk- was tweeting about it yesterday. I mean, some serious insiders are saying. Mm, this this could this could be the end of the road. That's incredible. Well, it is, and 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 those sub, for most teams, it would it would need to be money in, money out to make mm. uh, a Deshaun Watson acquisition work, given what he makes now right. on his second contract. That's going to be really intriguing. But I, I agree with you. I I like here's what I agree with. I like Goff uh, enough to move forward. I like you know Wolford can sit there and be uh, that backup, and and maybe can give you some juice, and maybe can give you a spark sometimes. Mm. I, I I just I think you got to be really careful. I think there's many teams that have sort of held on to quarterbacks in that in that middle realm or maybe that, you know, second to third tier. I thought the Bears did it with Jay Cutler. I think yeah. Dallas did it with Tony Romo. Yeah. Uh, where the guy is good enough that you're willing to, you know, take, you know, take the off week and and yeah. move forward because you know the potential's there to win between between 10 and 12 games. And if you give that up and it's the wrong decision, then you're languishing in mediocrity. And and then as well, you, you know, the Rams have a good enough roster. Like the Rams cannot and and obviously it would it would you know really take the rose off McVeigh uh cannot be a team that ends up being you know four and 12 five and 11 they're too good they're way too talented on defense I would say as well about Saturday we talked about player absences in the other game in the NFC game with the Saints no Cooper Cup was a factor right right I don't know that it changes the outcome I I would say that it didn't but that's a real reliable weapon uh Mm. for Jared Goff and he wasn't there, so it it, it creates an, an you know an overemphasis on Robert Woods. Um, it makes going to the tight end Tyler Higby uh, a more frequent thing. But the Packers know that they know that going in, they are well aware of of that during the game itself. So I like where the Rams are. Uh, remember also, just speaking, you know, Rams centric. It looks like they're going to lose their defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. Yeah, right. To the LA Chargers, so yeah. he goes across potentially go across town and coach Justin Herbert. Um, you know, Staley's the defensive coordinator, but who they bring in as as an OC could be really, really important uh, after the Chargers jettisoned Anthony Lynn. But I like where the Ram, I, I like where the Rams are at, and I think also think that you've got to have that big picture about your division. I, I think what you what you witness other teams do in that those four team divisions matters as much as what you do. And I think we've got an aging infrastructure in Seattle. Got an older coach there. Pete Carroll, I'm sure, is coming back. But that was a really successful season for the Rams. There's a lot of weird stuff happening with the Niners. What's mm. going to happen with, with Jimmy G? 
uh, Arizona couldn't get out of their own way at times this year, even with a healthy, mostly healthy Kyler Murray. They sure could have used him the last week, obviously, and didn't have him. But I, I think the Rams, you know, there's not just one team that has a successful season and the other 31 don't. Mm-hmm. I'd look at this season, Rams back to double-digit wins, back to the playoffs, go to Seattle and win a playoff game. I, I think the Rams are back, uh, you know, back to a pace that they're really, really happy with. I, I wouldn't change too much, to be honest. Yeah, okay. Fair, fair point. Cam Akers as well, I guess, another bright spark uh, for them. And he figured as we expected he would, but but not enough uh, in the end. Let's, let's go to the AFC then. We've got to start with last night's game. Yeah, remarkable game in so many ways. Remarkable that the Browns didn't give up. And you mentioned earlier on that Bears game and the Javon Wims drop, which just seemed to be a pivotal moment in that game because not just the, the, the lack, the, the absence of points as a result of, of the score getting missed, but just the morale disappearing instantly, the deflation that was caused uniformly, I think, across Bears Nation, let alone on, on the sidelines, felt that a similar situation might occur when Rashad Higgins could have, should have, would have scored the ball. And what a ridiculous rule this is, Greg. I'm keen to get your thoughts yeah. on this, but you roll through the right side of the pylon, out uh, out of bounds. It's still your ball. It goes through the back of the end zone. It's a touchback. I still don't understand that rule. It's absurd. But nevertheless, Higgins and the team didn't wilt and die. They fought back. And this seems to be very much the narrative this morning about the Browns disappointed, obviously that their season has come to an end, but uncharacteristically for a Cleveland Browns team as far, a team as far back as I can ever remember, quite frankly, there is a sense of pride. There's a sense of optimism. Bring on next season. We, we lost, but we showed a huge amount of fight and we showed that we can go toe to toe with the very best and, and not blink. And I thought it was fascinating to see this Brown side and of course, Mahomes going out gave them an extra bit of edge. But to see this Brown side, to see Baker stepping up in prime time, the biggest game of his life, and, and not panicking and not blowing it and not throwing it away, but looking composed and assured and already a serious contender next season, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 19-3 at halftime, and it's the easiest thing. And you might say, well, come on, they're professionals. They make millions of dollars, but it's the easiest thing. You know, we're talking a lot about the human psyche. It's the easiest thing to go in and go, it's not going to happen for us yep. today. And and it just takes a few people to feel that way. Exactly. And, and you know, for that to, uh, how would I put it, uh, metabolize physically for then it, it to spread throughout the team, okay? And it didn't happen. Like that touchdown drive – at the start of the third quarter for the Browns, and that's before mm-hmm. the Mahomes injury. So they're not they're not just seeing, right. okay, you know, we've we've got a huge, huge break here. We want Patrick Mahomes obviously to be okay, but if he's out of the game, who's kidding who? That benefits us. I mean, yeah. I, I was checking sort of, you know, live uh betting lines uh during the game itself, and I was a little bit surprised it didn't didn't lean more in the Browns' favor. That mm-hmm. gets to Andy Reid and and what he did, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But good heavens, like that it was all there for the Browns. I couldn't think of a a critical quarterback injury in a playoff game so significant in recent times. Um, we know we know when when Brady had taken over the Patriots in 2001 that Drew Bledsoe had to come in, uh, it, you know, with Brady injured and win the AFC title game, and they had to win it in Pittsburgh. Um, right. I think they were still back at Three River Stadium then, but they had to go and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, and Drew Bledsoe. Uh, cold for not playing for weeks on end. Now the backup to Tom Brady, former number one overall pick, accomplished that. 
Now that was a big ask uh, for, for Chad Henney to come in and, uh, and almost do the same with Patrick Mahomes out, but back to the Browns. I loved, I loved how they played. I love that they didn't quit. Now there still has to be hard work. I would figure a franchise like that. And as downtrodden as they were. And um, the fact, you know, Joe Thomas, legendary lineman plays there his whole career and never even gets a sniff of a game like that yesterday. The Browns don't even come close to playing relevant, meaningful games in December. They didn't the whole time he was there. Um, top five, top six pick. The, the fact that all that is true, I hope the Browns see this for what it is and that it's hard work that gets you there. There's a reason that the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's are who they are because they do the work in the offseason. And it's not just mm. the physical work, but it's the – is Baker Mayfield going to become, you know, a, a film nerd like those guys are? Is he going to be in on watching all the video? Are there going to be less commercials and less talk shows and less, you know, back and forth? Um, I, I think I, I think Browns fans have some faith that they have turned the corner. They've got the right coach. They've got the right quarterback. They've got the right coordinators. They've got the right infrastructure. But, you know, 32 teams go into every offseason. And, and, you know, by logic, by math, only 16 could potentially improve. The other 16 should get worse. The Browns have to make sure that they step up, that they challenge, that they want if they want home games in the playoffs instead of playing two on the road in, in Pittsburgh and Kansas City. I know it's a different year, not the intimidating crowds. So that probably benefited them, that they're not mm -hmm. playing uh, in Kansas City with, with Arrowhead sold out and they didn't have to play at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh on a Sunday night with it sold out. But nonetheless... Mm -hmm. It's a big, big step forward for the franchise. And there's a lot of other AFC teams looking at the Browns saying, well, how do we do that? We're, you know, we haven't made the playoffs in 15 years. We haven't won a playoff game. Teams like the Jets, teams like the Dolphins, teams like um, even the Chargers who say we got to get back to some degree of respectability. But the, the Bengals are the team in their own state. There's a lot of teams saying we want to do exactly that and, and take what and, and take that leap forward, which Cleveland just did. I think you make so many great points there that the manner of those drives in particular, you nailed that 77 yarder and then a 75 yarder. So it wasn't that they kept in it and rallied. It was the manner that they did it. The drives just prototypical domination on those drives, organization, fluency, cohesion, all of those things that would nowhere really with the Freddie kitchens Browns. There were incredible individual acts of brilliance and, playmaking ability in flashes and spurts but it was the fluency of the performance i think that was 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 really really impressive on the on the higgins non-touchdown we've got to talk about the Sorensen hit mm. that that was demonstrably helmet to helmet with the benefit of of replay i can understand at the time officials maybe not net the speed that this happens you understandably not necessarily seeing it and you could flip that as well of course with um uh, you know, with challenges made sometimes that we're looking at it the fourth, fifth time and thinking, why on earth did they challenge that? And in real time, you can understand why a coach would do that. So it was no doubt helmet to helmet, right? But frustratingly, these plays uh, and the officials specifically can't review it. And, and I wonder if that's something that in the off season, the rules committee will look at. It, at what point do certain things need to be changed, Greg, in terms of what can be reviewed, what can't, particularly when there's so much on the line here and, and, and whether it's, is it even feasible to say, well, you introduced this in when the playoffs kick in. I understand that not everything could be reviewed. There is there's subjectivity. There is too much you can introduce in this respect that's mm -hmm. going to add to the stop-start nature irrevocably and, and, and detrimentally. But in this instance, and we've seen plenty of other bad calls, non-calls, 
in games where so much is riding that you think there must be a way of working something out here that ends up with the, the fair outcome. Well, I think you hit on it. And, and if you're able to challenge pass interference, and remember, if we're taking that Saints-Rams-NFC title game with the egregious non-call, which mm-hmm. we all agree it was, um, now also egregious was the idea that um, you know the NFL headed in for the Saints and you've got politicians in a simpler time, in a, in a simpler time, uh, you know, uh, threatening uh, the NFL with lawsuits and, and uh, court action and judges are involved, all a little bit ridiculous, but... Mm-hmm. It did, it did change the structure of, yep. of the challenge. I just think you should be able to challenge any 15-yard penalty. Right. I think you should be able to challenge pass interference. I think you should be able to challenge uh, a helmet-to-helmet hit that doesn't exist or that does exist, roughing the passer. I mean, we saw Josh Allen um, you know, give a pretty good uh, uh, you know, sometimes soccer player, sometimes NBA player flop when he was you know, shoved, and people you know, obviously spot it right away, and we get the benefit of video. The mm. officials at the time don't. So, of course, there's somebody that should be – that's the referee's job almost exclusively is to watch for uh, a face mask on the quarterback or a late hit on the quarterback. But to me, yeah, the I, I don't want to see challenges come in for holding um, offsides. I, I, you know, I, I, being lined up in the neutral zone, I don't want to see that. But I think any 15-yard penalty, yeah, why, why can you throw a flag and challenge the spot that mm. could be, you know, inches? But it could really matter to get a first down, and coaches wouldn't do it otherwise, but not be able to challenge a scenario like that. Yeah, because it's rule itself to, to challenge it, right? I mean, if, if, you know, let's just say that had been a situation where Stefanski sees that, uh, is told, you know, from his crew watching, got to challenge that coach. You throw it in. It's a simple review. And it's like, okay, yeah, flag wasn't thrown. It should have been. I don't understand why that's so complex to introduce. And, and you're right. And and for something, e- even even with, uh, you know, your football on your side of the Atlantic, VAR right. is more scenario like maybe what the NFL should adopt in that the referee would get buzzed. And they do get yep. buzzed in the last two minutes of games. So there was a really interesting play. Mm. I, I'm sure you spotted it. When the Saints uh, were, were uh, charged with a hit to Marshawn Lattimore was charged with a hit to the head, mm-hmm. but then they picked it, they just picked up the flag. Well, yes. how did they know? Was that, did, you know, did they get buzzed from above? Did another official come over and say that wasn't even close to a hit to the head? Like it would have been a really unfair penalty on the Saints at the given time. So yeah. all we want is to get the call right. It's all the audience wants. It's probably all the head coaches want at a certain point in time. And yeah, the, the, the rule itself, I'd like to see something. And I wonder if, if it'll happen at some point in time. Now, maybe maybe it's to prevent players from stretching out the ball too much or sort of tossing the ball into the – I mean, you're not allowed to recover a fumble in the end zone um, from a certain point in unless it's actually you recovering the fumble. Right. So, you know, it's not like you can, you know, toss the ball up and, and have an offensive lineman fall on it in the end zone. Um, but, you know, maybe it's the offensive team's ball back at the 20-yard line. Maybe you're punished in terms of yards – for fumbling it through the end sure. zone. Yeah, but yeah, yeah the, the idea of a touchback and a turnover is a yeah. really, really rough go. Um, but to your point, Browns shook it off, you know, yeah. dusted dusted it away and uh, and ended up responding. Remember, a 19-3 game at halftime, I think we're all looking, you know, can I go yeah. for a walk in the second <laughs> half? Like, is this going to be worth watching? Is this is this with Patrick Mahomes playing the whole game? Is this going to be a 35 to nine game at the end of this? And in your case, but- in your case, we're ready to go for a haircut at halftime. I think but- <laughs> <laughs> it only takes me two minutes these days. Mm. That's true. Fair. But of course they kept her in it. And then as, as you've alluded to things looking really up when, when Mahomes goes out 
and Chad Hedy comes in, although Hedy, Hedy comes in and is composed, is together, is looking like a, a, a solid, the solid vet that he is, right? Let's, I mean, it's easy to forget these players. And one of the reasons, I guess, why quarterbacks like Chad Hedy end up as career backups or long-standing backups is they've got ability. They can put runs together in games. They can put runs of games together where they're playing at the same level as the starters around them. They just can't continue to do it. That's often the biggest problem is, is the consistency factor of, of putting it up game on game, week on week, month on month, year on year. And so the idea that a player of Henny's experience coming in and throwing the ball like he's, you know, Ben Danucci is, 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 is faintly absurd. Nevertheless, he coughs up crucial turnover and you're thinking, oh boy, here, here we go. But mm-hmm. in the end, Henny came good and was clutch at the end. And the crucial play, the, the, the play that we're all going to remember from this game, maybe from this playoffs for, for years to come on the fourth and one, Andy Reid dialing up a play call that possibly only Andy Reid would have the wherewithal, the guts, the uh, the, the innovation, the creative innovation to, to do that. But the most unlikely play to call in that situation, and Henny executes it perfectly to Tyreek Hill, and that's game over. It was uh, unbelievable. Um, the idea, and, and he obviously, look, he fooled a lot of us. I'm not, I'm not just banging on... Uh, uh, Tony Romo. Romo was sure that they were not going to snap the ball and that they were going to punt. And yep. then it's it's a bit chaotic because maybe if he's thinking that Tony Romo's a smart football guy, so that means obviously some of the Browns are thinking that also. We saw that ad nauseum with Josh Allen uh, the night before with the Bills trying to draw offside uh, mm-hmm. the Baltimore Ravens time after time after time. So maybe, yeah, Kansas City's not going to give Baker Mayfield and the Browns the ball with a minute and a half left. I know they were out of timeouts at midfield. Uh, so the idea is pin them back, trust your defense, make them beat you, make them go 80, 85 yards. So it was really, really surprising. I'll say this, you know, I, I wondered about the uh, the smartness of Patrick Mahomes, not even not even suiting up that last week. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, obviously an injury early in the season, uh, it, it, earlier in the last season. So they were very conscious that, you know, you don't want to lose your show pony, but Think about this. Uh, Patrick Patrick Mahomes sits, and it's Chad Henney's game in Week 17. That's his first start since he was a Jacksonville Jaguar in 2014. Right. So he sat in Jacksonville, backed up Blake Bortles. He's on that team that almost went to the Super Bowl as Bortles' backup, then comes to Kansas City in 2018. Um, I, th- getting, those, getting that play, I know you get reps in practice. I know that. But getting the, an entire game to start, I was thinking yep. about that yesterday. He right. threw 32 passes against the Chargers in a 38-21 loss. And the result was immaterial. But, Nat, honestly, how much could that have helped him yep. just feel in the rhythm, the start touch, to build yep. your confidence? Like, I can do this again. The guy's had plenty of NFL starts. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's got 54 NFL results. He's 18 and 36. But I think we can admit he was on some lousy Dolphins teams and some even lousier Jags teams before they turned the keys over to Blake Bortles. So just getting those reps yeah. and being, you know, live bullets against the Chargers in week yeah. 17, that may have helped him. And you bring up that play. What about the 14 and a half yard scramble that even yeah. got them yeah, to yeah, fourth yeah. and one? Who right. knew Chad Henney had that in him at this point in time? It might have been out of desperation, but uh, people made the comparison to John Elway, right? Yeah, right. Round with the Packers tackle in the Super Bowl. That's how much Chad Henney was willing to sacrifice for it. 
Yeah, the go go get him, as Jaybo would say. Uh, it, great point you make about uh, about week seventeen. Actually, it's really interesting that how the game might have been different. It's how his touch might have been that little bit different if he hadn't had those reps. It's it's a brilliant point. Uh, the Bills uh, now lie in uh, Kansas City's way uh, to as they look at retaining the championship, and of course, as we suggested. Obviously, so much depends on the fitness of Mahomes, not just the concussion, but the turf toe that he's suffered during the game as well. So that's inevitably going to be the the talk going into the game. But let's assume that he is fit to start and, and is able, if not at 100%, certainly uh, to be able to play at uh, something r- closely resembling the Mahomes that, that we know and love. It's going to be a, an intriguing matchup for sure, given the momentum the Bills have going into the championship game that the the Chiefs, albeit as champions, don't appear to. The Bills have this sense of destiny about their season for sure and and much like Cleveland, but even more so, they have shaken off years and years of disappointment and and dysfunction to to get to where they're going. A balanced team on both sides of the ball. Actually, it was uh, their defense that was particularly impressive, of course, at the weekend. Uh, The offense, Josh Allen was out of touch for the first time in a long time. They couldn't really get much rolling with the ground game uh, as well. You look at the Ravens and it was a point we were talking about on the radio show last night, Greg, the Ravens outgained Buffalo in so many different mm-hmm. aspects of uh, the, the ball game. 340 yards to 220 in terms of total yardage. Time of possession, almost 10 minutes more, the Ravens. Third down efficiency was much stronger. Other key stats as well. So it wasn't a fluent offensive performance by any stretch from the Bills, but it was defensively. They neutralized uh, the Ravens, certainly the ground game, Dobbins, uh, and Co. not getting anything rolling there. That put undue an additional pressure on Lamar. And as Chris Brown, beat writer for the Bills.com, who joined our radio show last night, told us, it was a masterclass from Leslie Frazier. It is incredible uh, game plan from Leslie Frazier to uh, to bottle up Lamar Jackson. Uh, and it's something that's going to be talked about, I think, deep into the offseason in terms of defending uh, Lamar Jackson and, and mm. forcing him to throw and forcing him to throw under uncomfortable circumstances. Now, um, there was a lot there that, uh, you know, the, the Ravens, Justin Tucker missing two field goals from 46 yards off mm-hmm. the post, one on each side. You don't count on those things happening. Um, you know, everyone will point to the the 101 yard interception return from Taron Johnson, and they should. Did that turn the game? Absolutely. But I do wonder if if that sort of you know I like that phrase. The seeds of doubt were planted in the Ravens' minds with the two Tucker misses to say right. this may not go our way. Yeah. Um, you know, everything fe- felt like it broke their way, and Lamar had all day, all the time to take off with the football against the Tennessee Titans. And he could hand the ball off and the Ravens D swallowed up uh, Derrick Henry um, appropriately enough. Like that to me, that I look back at that game, that Ravens Titans game and uh, a week ago, Sunday, not as close as the score indicated. That was a dominant playoff performance uh, by John Harbaugh on the road. And John Harbaugh knows how to win road games. He always has. He's the he's the all time leader in road wins for a head coach with eight. That's a ton of games to win away from your own stadium. But yeah, I look at Buffalo and, and I just see, yeah, I, I, I see a team that if Patrick Mahomes is the least bit wobbly, is he, if he's the least bit inconsistent, and I might've said this anyway with, with Mahomes fully healthy and not getting dinged. Uh, Cause remember he was, you know, he's running a little bit more gingerly before the concussion happened. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. where's that at? I mean, we were yeah. wondering about his ankle uh, before yeah. we knew that his head had hit the turf. Um, Cause he was really wrapped up around the necks, pretty aggressive uh, tackle. 
in the Browns game. Um, I, I think this is Buffalo's. I, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for the Bills to go grab this uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, and I'd be shocked if I don't pick them, uh, regardless of whether Mahomes is healthy or not. I think Buffalo is going to the Super Bowl, and it, it's going to be an amazing, amazing game on Sunday. Um, and they've they've proven they can play with the big boys. We did wonder about this. They need to get that playoff monkey off their back. They couldn't do it last year. They could. They scored three points against Jacksonville three seasons ago. This might be a Bills Super Bowl team. Mm, that's uh, talk of the and bringing this full circle when we started the show talking about Brady, uh, Brady and Breeze and looking at the next generation and those battles that we're going to see over the years and those three quarterbacks, certainly Lamar, uh, Josh Allen and Mahomes will be figuring for, for many years to come. But this might turn out to be the best opportunity, particularly, of course, if Mahomes is injured. But as you rightly say, even if he's not right now, the way that this Bills side is motoring. And, and I guess they'll look at this game, Greg, and think we didn't play particularly well offensively. We still took care of the business against a, a Ravens team that was absolutely motoring uh, going into the game. And, and that's the mark of a championship team, right? When you're not playing particularly well, significantly on one side of the ball, but you still get the win. And in the end, a relatively comfortable win as well. Uh, before we get out of Dodge, let's talk about some of the coaching changes or coaching appointments, I should say. Uh, because they become a thick and fast, right? So I'm going to line from you on each of them. Firstly, the aforementioned Jags. What an incredible six or seven weeks they've had, right? Because they were sitting second spot in the draft. Is Doug Marone going to come back for another year? If you're a Jags fan, you're thinking, oh boy, this is pretty bleak. And we've got some promising bright sparks, but we are a long way from home. And suddenly everything turns around. They've got the one overall pick, which means Trevor Lawrence. They've got Urban Meyer, one of the most successful college coaches of all time. Fascinating to see what he is able to achieve in the pros. And suddenly Jacksonville are an organization that is trending absolutely in the right direction. A huge amount of positivity. And most importantly of all, they're, they're going to be compelling to watch next season, aren't they? Oh, phenomenal to watch. I know. Uh, and, and listen, I'm hoping for it just like you are, uh, that the London games happen. You've got potentially two Jags visits uh, in the fall of 2021. And if we, uh, you know, ag again, all are doing our part, all goes well, uh, vaccinations increase. Uh, we've got two Jacksonville Jaguars home games. I think we agree just on that front, Nat, that we need full stadiums for those games that I don't think the NFL is coming with yeah. the idea of 10,000 people at Wembley. They got to have everybody there. So I don't know how realistic that's going to be, though, this year. It does. It's a, it's a great question, a great point that, that, you know, maybe we need to elaborate on another time. But I but I wonder, yeah, given where we're at now in January and they've got to make this call, you know, certainly in the next four months, you would think. Right. I, I don't know. It's a big call. But yeah, uh, let's. But Oh, yeah, what, what a thrill for London football fans if they get to see Trevor Lawrence in his rookie yeah. season uh, two different times, uh, mm -hmm. as it were, with the Jags coming over. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you about the positivity. I, I, and that division is so in flux. There's what the Texans do with Deshaun Watson. Are the Titans, you know, standing pat? Are they happy where they're at? It's hard to believe Indianapolis. I didn't like the Colts all year long, um, mm -hmm. so it's hard to believe they ended up winning 11 games and really did push Buffalo uh, in their playoff game. Uh, but what does Philip Rivers do? So that's the, there's a big X factor there. And does he want to keep playing? But do the Colts want to move on and look at somebody else? So I, I'm real curious to see the impact for Urban Meyer, since that's uh, you asked about the coach. Um, mm. And I don't know what to compare this situation to. To me, it's not it's not quite like Nick Saban, um, you know, deciding to leave LSU and and come to the uh, 
and come to the Miami Dolphins because Saban had, you know, a taste of, 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 of being on a staff in the NFL before. It's not like Pete Carroll, who had a couple mm. scenarios that didn't work out for him necessarily great with the Patriots and the Jets. And then, you know, absolutely rising up USC. I was a USC fan from a little kid uh, in the late 70s. So I w- I've always watched that program. He comes in, replaces a guy named Paul Hackett, and absolutely makes USC, um, you know, the most com- uh, the most compelling sports team, period, mm. in Los Angeles. They were a bigger deal than the Lakers, the Dodgers. They really were. USC football. And Pete Carroll made that happen, comes mm. to Seattle, and has had a tremendous run of success. He might be a Hall of Fame coach in the NFL. And many people said, oh, it's a retread. He's tried it before. It's not his thing. So I'm fascinated to see how Urban Meyer goes. I know we were talking with, with, with uh, J.P. Shadrick yesterday, and I agree. You know, lower the expectations. If, if you get off the mat and you're, you're seven and nine, eight and eight, that's big progress for this Jacksonville yeah, team yeah. That's, that's really decimated their roster by, you know, trading for futures a fair bit in the last three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder as well if Urban Meyer coming into the NFL in 2021 as opposed to 10 years ago is going to make a significant difference, certainly in his favor, right? Just the way that the the the, the pro game has changed and pro offices have changed and that acclimatization as we're seeing from individual players and quarterbacks most notably, but also receivers, how quickly they can acclimatize to the NFL now compared to to back in the day. I wonder whether that's going to make it a more straightforward transference. Uh, we mentioned Brandon Staley at the Chargers. Arthur Smith at the Falcons. So the Titans, well, to your point, they're going to have to uh, have a think about how they follow off Arthur Smith. He's had a, a huge amount of success, obviously, with uh, with the Titans of the last couple of years that is, is perhaps sometimes misunderstood or he is... His role, I think, has been undervalued because of Derrick Henry's visible contribution. What he's done with the passing game, the rehabilitation of Ryan Tannehill, the balance that he's managed to imbue there. He's going to be a hard act to follow. What do you make of his appointment of the Falcons, though? That's an interesting choice for them, I think. Um, And I guess the Matt Ryan question comes firmly into view. Yeah, I think it does too. Uh, yeah, he he, you know, going from not just not being able to get where Marcus Mariota, where mm. he needed to be. It's a weird thing how sometimes, you know, we were talking about Goff, and you could link Goff's always going to be linked with Wentz because they were one two in the draft, same as Luck and RG three were. But I think about that with Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, and both players really, you know, just not being able to make things click for the for the Buccaneers and the Titans, respectively. So mm. they get found money in Ryan Tannehill, who they really didn't bring in, I don't believe, to to compete for the starting job at the time, but just to give them depth. And Tannehill had not played well enough in Miami, um, really, to justify walking into a locker room and being that particular starting quarterback. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting um, with Arthur Smith there because he should get a lot of credit for emphasizing the run it seems like you know the running back is almost coming back into vogue as being really important and and if you don't have a superstar running back you better have like the browns have that one two punch and it's what the chiefs were missing yesterday against the browns obviously uh with injuries in their backfield so Mm. i'm real curious to see what atlanta does given again you know that division it, it i think i think tampa stands pat and a lot of their guys are back including a uh, a 45-year-old Tom Brady, but New Orleans has calls to make. Carolina looks set with Teddy Bridgewater, but I don't think it's—I don't think the Falcons have to languish too far at the bottom of that division if they can, you know, make the right moves and transition from Matt Ryan in the next year or two to another quarterback that's capable. Robert Sala, the other appointment we'll talk about to the Jets. He, if we're putting some kind of power rankings on coordinators or coaching candidates. He's been right at the top, I guess. Surprisingly, didn't get a gig last time out after 
driving the 49ers to the uh, to the Super Bowl, uh, if not getting them over the line as defensive coordinator there. He's somebody that has been often talked up as a, uh, a head coaching candidate for a number of years, and it was inevitable he's going to get a job this time around. So it's a coup for the Jets to have landed him, and they've got a really exciting uh, season and future ahead. But if we're talking about teams trending in the right direction, a huge amount of draft capital. They've got two first-round picks in the 2021 draft, I think 11 in total, and a number of those within the top three rounds. So whilst this is a, a franchise, a roster that needs a fair amount of overhauling, certainly with Salah being able to preside over a defense uh, if you can get even close to the one he had in San Francisco, they're going to be competitive and they can add a lot of other key offensive pieces around. Do they, I mean, following the same question through, given the capital they've got, seems to be the conventional wisdom they're going to move away from Sam Donald. But I wonder whether they might give him one last hurrah, look at next year as a rebuild year, invest that capital elsewhere, maybe even parlay some of that capital into even more and, and cover a lot of ground quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's something, and, and I think they need to because Buffalo's only going to get better and stabilize, and Miami should be getting better as well. Again, not everybody takes the same progression. Some teams mm-hmm. step up, make the playoffs, and all of a sudden, boom. Buffalo, remember, made the playoffs that year uh, against Jacksonville in McDermott's first year and were right down to, to being in a right. position where they drafted Josh Allen the year after that, uh, after the 2018 yeah. season. So. It's one of those scenarios where you've got to, you know, you got to be certain about where your goals are. And I, I, I do wonder for the Jets, I, I think it'll take a few years still to dig out of this. Um, I, I would have drafted Darnold one overall. Um, I, I still think there's great football left for him to play. Uh, I would, I would like to see how he works himself out. But I also think you trade that number two pick. If somebody, you know, whoever wants to go up and take one of the two quarterbacks from BYU or from Ohio State, Trade that pick for as much as you can get, uh, mm. because I, because I think the Jets know that they've got that regret there. Uh, with the, they drafted Jamal Adams four picks ahead of Patrick Mahomes, six picks ahead of Deshaun Watson. They wouldn't have to draft. They wouldn't have had to draft Sam Darnold the next year with and trade up to go into the top three if they'd made the right call. And no knock on Jamal Adams, nice player, um, and they actually did quite well in moving him along to the Seahawks at the mm. right time. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be intriguing to see what they do at number two. And boy, um, there was high, there was still some high hopes for Adam Gase too. That's the weird thing is the Jets have tried this before. I feel like yeah, this this is this is the right hire. But you never know. You think about the lack of hype for Doug Peterson. There were questions in Buffalo uh, about Sean McDermott, and you know even Andy Reid in Kansas City. It's like oh, are we just getting somebody that that just wore out his time in Philadelphia? Or should we mm. be going more innovative, younger? And, you know, it's very difficult to judge these things, but the Jets, the Jets uh, look like they've got a guy that is going to be very, very inspired. And as you mentioned, they've got the draft capital and God knows the fan base has been waiting long enough to be good again. Yeah, big time. It's uh, it, it, good to see, I think, um, a team like the Jets uh, trending in the right direction. You need, you, despite all the dysfunction and the disappointment they've had, I think you need a big market teams like that to have big characters. And the whole Adam Gase thing, as we were hearing on our show last night, on our radio show, was just painful to watch that unraveling. Strange they didn't make a call and pull the plug on him earlier on in the season. So you think the Bills are going to make the Super Bowl, Greg? Who are they going to be playing? Let's leave on a prediction. 
I don't know how Green Bay loses at home. This is I, I and I'm shocked it's Aaron Rodgers' first NFC title game at home. He's one in three in NFC championship games, Nat. Um, and and there have been some stumbles, obviously. Uh, they lost to the Giants when they looked destined as a 15 and one team. There was a lot of talk that year. Their only loss was at Arrowhead against kind of a lousy Kansas City Chiefs team. But there was talk about them being an unbeaten team this uh, that year. They were clear odds on favorites. Uh, I think that's the 2011 season to yep. win the NBA, the uh, the NFL. Um, to win the Super Bowl and be obviously a first seed in the conference, which they were. And the Giants, Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning go in and uh, and and they just dominated Green Bay. So there's been so many false starts for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it's hard. It's hard for me not to see Aaron Rodgers playing on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, you know, I, I again, does Tom Brady go quietly into the night? No, uh, not in this game. He'll be back next year as Tampa Bay quarterback. But I think I think we've got a Packers Bills Super Bowl. So uh, someone put it yesterday: AFC Siberia against NFC Siberia. We'll take it. <laughs> In a weird year where uh, the fans don't have to worry about being cold, those two cold weather fan bases could have gone down to Tampa, got some sun, eighty degree <laughs> temperatures at game time. Uh, you know what could have been. Oh, well, we wouldn't take it any other way, as you say, in, in the year that we've had. Brilliant stuff, Greg. We'll know in uh, this time next week. We'll know exactly who uh, is going to be playing in the Super Bowl. And we are going to be rolling out a lot of content as we build up to the Super Bowl. And you can guarantee that Mr. Brady will be a part of that. So we'll check in with you very soon. But for the time being, thanks, man. Always appreciate and love your insight. Good to see you. Great weekend. I loved reviewing it with you, Nat. Always do. Thanks so much. Take care, bro. Lovely stuff from Greg Brady. He will be back soon. You can guarantee it because... As I alluded to, as we wrapped things up, there is plenty more coming your way before this season is done and dusted. Thursday, we are dropping our championship preview. We're also going to be dropping Edge Rush this week too. Producer Ollie and I back for a bit more action with that as well. And as we roll in to Super Bowl week, lots and lots of bonus pods, extra content, stuff on our social channels at the NC Show, incidentally, is going to be dropping, getting you set. So there is a lot more to come before we wrap up this season. And hey, as we were alluding to, plenty more beyond that as well. The show stays on track. The show goes on and you are right there with us. It's great to have you along for the ride. We'll be back with the championship game previews later on this week. See you then. Podcast Network.